Well, hello and welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, owner and executive chef of the Raging Skillet. And how the heck are you? I do feel kind of Southern right now, I gotta say. I don't know if I mentioned to you, and I probably have, that when I grew up, my parents had the brilliant idea, even though we lived on the Jersey Shore, and pretty much the only thing worth living for, at least in the 60s and 70s for me on the Jersey Shore was the summer. But unfortunately, my parents bought some rinky-dink little bungalows in Panama City, Florida. And they dragged my sister, Yaya, my brother Mendel, and myself to Panama City, Florida for the entire summer. And let me tell you something. These days, a lot of stuff has happened in Panama City. They have spring break, white sand beaches, you know, it's like things kind of happening. But in the 70s, I mean, it kind of te- today it's even now known as the Redneck Riviera. But in the 70s, it just wasn't anything more hickey redneck kind of deep south as Panama City, Florida. And so, yeah, you know, here we are, this Jersey family. We didn't quite fit in. Now you add that to the mix that we're Jewish and my parents were Orthodox and we kept kosher. Well, let me tell you, that led for some mighty interesting situations. Like when my mother was searching for kosher food in Panama City, Florida, and she wound up going to the Piggly Wiggly. Now, to me, that strikes me as the definition of irony, which is my Yiddish mama searching the Piggly, that's right, P-I-G, Piggly Wiggly, for kosher food. And she came out with some frozen things and canned things, and we'd have basically grits and fish sticks. But then she went into a local market And she asked the woman there if she had any kosher food. The woman didn't know what the hell kosher was. And so she she offered my mother some pork rinds. She's like, I don't know about that, ma'am, but we have some mighty fine pork rinds. No siree. We went back to our rinky-dink bungalow. So the deal was that we were stuck in Panama City. And there were four bungalows on this little plop of swampland. And whatever bungalow was not rented... That was the one we all had to sleep in for like three months. I'm not talking about like three days. And there was no air conditioning. I did mention this was summer in Florida. There'd be like one kind of rattling old fan that we'd fight to be in front of. And we'd sleep on the floor in sleeping bags or mattresses. No TV. It was horrible. We were stuck there. Well, the lady in this market... She decides to tell some local holy rollers, Oh, Mabel, come over here right this instance. I got to tell you, there's some Jewish people in town. Oh, hell no. And so the next thing you know, we're so bored. I mean, the three of us, we're kids, right? We're bored out of our mind, chasing these giant palmetto bugs around the size of mice. And no TV, no nothing. I mean, it was just misery. We're bored and hot and miserable. And all these holy rollers show up at our bungalow, banging on their tambourine. One of them had a drum. They were all singing. And we thought we're hallucinating. You know, what's going on? They got closer and closer. Sure enough, they were coming right for us. And I still remember 
the chorus of that song. Oh yeah, all you Jewish people, come out and pray. Jesus loves you anyway. I mean, crazy, right? Well, back then, I guess we were rotten kids. I mean, I sort of pretended to be well-behaved and then secretly behind closed doors was up to no good. But my brother and my sister could not even pretend to pretend. They were just rotten. And none of us had any respect for grown-ups. And my parents were trying to teach us how to respect our elders. Mm. I'm sipping on some tea with a little tequila in it. What do you think of that? Anyway. And, and we just were having a little trouble with that. But they were trying to drum into us how to respect our elders. Well, so these holy rollers would come and sing. And my mother begged them to leave. There was nothing she could do to get rid of them. And they came every day and sang all day and banged on the tambourine and everything. So finally, my mother gave us permission to unleash hell. She's like, well, look, you can't do anything you might get arrested for. And you should not use any filthy language because she could not abide by that. But basically, pretty much anything else was okay. And we were so bored. You got to understand, we were going crazy from boredom. So we started concocting these entire schemes and plays and things to put on. And I would come, I guess I was meant to be a playwright, right? I've been writing plays for a while now. But I would write these plays and I would have my sister and brother act them out, just crazy things. And I can't even remember what they were about, just about crazy things. And my sister would moon them, and my brother would pretend he was Igor from Frankenstein and ask them for a bone, and we would do raspberries at them, go, you know, the whole deal. Everything we could think of, and it was just really entertaining for us. I mean, we'd, we'd been so bored, and I pretended I was a vampire, and I wanted to suck their blood, and just about any rotten thing you could think of to do. When you're six and seven and eight years old, I think that's what we were. But you know what? It didn't get rid of them. And every day they came back, we were so happy because every night we would practice how we were going to terrorize them. And we were just we were just having a great old time. Well, my mother kept this tub under the sink because it always leaked and it was full of funky leaking water and palmetto bugs that had gone in for a drink and drowned. It was really disgusting. And so around about this time, she borrowed from one of the people in one of the other bungalows a little crappy black and white television. And we were watching a Western about cowboys and Indians. And the in the movie, the Indians wanted to go ahead and scalp all the white people that they caught, the pale face. And I certainly can't blame them because the pale face really did a lousy thing to the Native Americans in this country. It's really ridiculous. I mean, but don't get me going there. I got a lot of fury over that. But, you know, we owe, oh, we owe a hundred million trillion apologies for what we did to the Natives in this country. But I digress. Anyway, in this movie, the uh, Natives are going to scalp all the pale faces. And this one guy... He starts acting really crazy. I mean, he got scared. He started acting full-blown cuckoo. I don't think he realized he was acting crazy, but he was acting really crazy. And evidently, that was bad juju to kill someone who's crazy because then you get their spirit or something. So the the Indians did not want to kill the pale face. 
And I personally would have done it gladly for them because, like I said, pale face, well, insert a few curse words, but they did some lousy crap as far as I could see. You know it too. But I digress again. Anyway, so we watched this movie and my mother got in her head, well, if you can't scalp someone because they're crazy, you probably can't convert them if they're crazy, right? So the Holy Rollers came to our house the next day. She came out with that big tub of backed up funky water full of drowned palmetto bugs and she threw it at them and she screamed, you can't convert me because I'm a crazy lady. <laughs> you know, really, I'm telling you, scared the heck out of me. Anyway, the bummer is that the Holy Rollers, in fact, agreed. They just kind of shook their heads and they went home and they never came back. And that was the end of our entertainment. It's really sad. I got to say, I really, truly miss them. Eventually, though, they did finally open a shopping mall in Panama City that had air conditioning. And I remember going into that mall with my sister and my brother and watching Star Wars when it first came out. So I guess that was 1975 or 76, something like that. And we stayed in the back of that movie theater and we watched it. It was that two and a half hours or something. And the air conditioning was the first time we had not been hot and sweltering since we left New Jersey. And we stayed in the theater. We watched it again and again, back to back. I think we watched it three or four times. What is that, like 12 hours of Star Wars? I'd probably still be sitting in that theater if they hadn't asked us to leave finally. Plus, I got hungry and I had to go to the bathroom. But, you know, anyway, I digress. So the reason I'm thinking about all this and the reason I'm talking like this is because I always was a sponge for a southern accent. So I used to have a southern accent in the summer... And I'd come back to Jersey and I'd get kind of a Jersey accent and somehow the two sort of canceled each other out. But whenever I'm in the South or around someone with a Southern accent, it kind of comes back. Now, I'm currently talking to you right now in Georgia. I mean, not that you're in Georgia, I'm in Georgia. And you might very well be listening to my show from Georgia or from the Deep South or from Florida or the Carolinas. So... My girlfriend Lila and I did our famous road trip, and I guess normal people can drive from New York to Florida in like two days, maybe three. Well, it takes us like seven days because we just go really slow. We don't like to drive more than three hours a day, to tell you the truth. And I say we, but quite honestly, Lila does 99.9% of the driving because she's an amazing driver. In our circle, we would say she's a very butch driver. Not in other places of life, but certainly behind the wheel. In other places of life, she's a woman. But behind the wheel, she's evil Knievel. She could be a taxi driver. As far as I'm concerned, she's fearless. Even on those two-lane stretches of I-95, where it's all 18-wheelers, fearless. Me, I'm like a little old lady white-knuckled. But I digress. Anyway, we started the ride. And we decided to go to Alexandria, Virginia. Why, do you ask? Well, because I went to visit my fabulous friend, Suzanne, who I call Rocket, who worked with me one year. I guess the year was 2016, I think. And we were like a tired, old, jaded bunch of caterers at that point. Everyone in the kitchen, we were out of gas. We were pooped out. She worked with us for three or four months and just breathed all this energy into us this 
beautiful girl with this flame red hair, gorgeous creature, gorgeous energy, kind, like someone you only meet in a Julie Andrews movie, you know, just a big burst of love. And I just love any chance I can get to visit her. So, And her mother, Connells, someone I know since high school, again, huge lovey-dovey burst of energy. So uh, Rocket, our Rocket, moved to Alexandria, where she, I think she's doing PR, and she's become a big success, and she's very exciting. So we spent a couple of days in Alexandria. We didn't plan on staying so long. This torrential rainstorm hit the southeast, in particular Florida and Georgia and the Carolinas and tornadoes and floods. And, you know, we didn't want any part of that. So we stayed in Alexandria for a couple of days and just loved it. And then we went to a little town I discovered on one of our other drives. We were just on the highway one day and I'm like, we need to pull over. We're tired. And we found this little town in South Carolina. And this little town is called Florence, like Florence Henderson. So I think of it as Florence Henderson, South Carolina. And when we first went there, we just stayed at some hotel off the highway. We totally missed the magic. And the magic is the downtown historic area of Florence, South Carolina. So if ever you're in a town, you always want to find out, like, what's the historic area? Because it's usually pretty fabulous. Like in New York City... I want to go to Greenwich Village and walk on the cobblestone streets and look at the beautiful old houses and feel the history. Well, in Florence, South Carolina, there's a great downtown with great restaurants and just feels a little bit like a real southern town and a little bit like it has a little vibe of like a western town too. It's just a great feeling town. And we checked in and we decided last time we had some higher-end southern cuisine. But this time we wanted to get down and dirty. And not for a barbecue. We wanted something else. It turned out there was some real authentic old-school Mexican food there. And we went in. It was like the hot, great corn chips and a carne asada and a gigantic margarita. It was just great. Just loving, loving, loving South Carolina, right? Oh, I forgot to mention. Oh, I skipped over. We also spent a couple of nights in Raleigh, North Carolina, in the downtown historic district. I forgot all about that. I got Carolina on my brain. And now we're in a town I never heard of until yesterday called Brunswick, and that's in Georgia. Now, Brunswick is a little city, and it's got a great historical downtown area. And it's very near another place I never heard of that we're dying to check out called Jekyll Island. You know, like Jekyll and Hyde? First I was like, I don't want to go somewhere called Jekyll Island, but it turns out it's pretty fabulous. So I'll let you know about that. So here I find myself in the South. And it's kind of great, you know, to get out of your head. I mean, I'm like such a New Yorker. People really think of me as like the quintessential New Yorker. I like to wear black. I like to just walk a lot and walk fast and get to the point. You know, I guess I have a lot of New York crap about me. But it's nice to get out and check out other people. There were some interesting things that I've seen so far in my journey through the Carolinas and Georgia. And here's the first thing. Well, I guess we were on the part where it was just the two lanes. You know, I-95, you think of a big, giant highway, Interstate 95. But there's a good, long stretch of it 
certainly going through Georgia and the Carolinas. That's just two lanes. And if one of those lanes is an 18-wheeler that's kind of a little on the wide side and weaving a little bit, well, you know, it's downright funky. Well, so we're on the two lanes of 95. And the 18-wheeler gets over to the left. Now, I heard way back when, if ever the 18-wheelers get over to the left, that means there's no cops around because 18-wheelers know they're not supposed to drive on the fast lane. But the 18-wheelers are getting over to the left, so I think, well, let's just speed it up. There must be no cops around, right? Turns out the reason they're all getting over to the left is because there's this giant thing on the highway. It was so big, it was taken over one and a half, almost two lanes. And it had a big sign, wide load, which made me think of a few things I saw in a lesbian bar some years ago, but that's a different story. Anyway, we finally get up to it. We realize it is someone's house. Someone just said, I'm just going to put my house on wheels and drive it along I-95. Couldn't believe it made it pretty hard to travel for a while let me tell you so I thought I'd never seen anything like that in my life right but you know what a couple hours later we're driving along same thing happens everybody's getting all weird and slow the trucks are trying to get to the left sure enough someone else had the same idea here's an entire house going down I-95 on wheels an extra extra wide load so now I've moved and you've moved right I remember moving houses when I was growing up, moving from one house in Jersey in kind of a lousy neighborhood that I loved to another house in Jersey in a good neighborhood that I hated. I remember in New York, moving from Brooklyn to Manhattan, saying, praise the Lord, I finally got to Manhattan. Moving from the West Village to the East Village, getting my passport stamped because no one in the West Village worked. They were all rich trust fund babies, at least on my block. And everyone in the East Village still had a little punk rock energy. But it's a big to-do moving, right? Like they say, the three most stressful things are death, divorce, and moving. Like, you know, moving can be as stressful as a divorce or a death. Kind of crazy, right? Well, evidently, if you are living in the Carolinas in Georgia and it's time for you to move... You say, well, you know what? I'm not going to bother to pack up everything in a suitcase and pack up all my crap and fold this and fold that. I'm just going to pick up my whole damn house, put it on wheels, and drive it along I-95. It's the craziest thing. You have really not lived till you have been driving along and you see a whole house drive by. It is some freaky stuff. So, I mean, I guess maybe that's the thing. Is that a thing? Now, you're listening to me. You might very well be in the South. So if you are, just shoot me a message at theragingskillet.com, will you? And let me know, yes, when my family moves, we like to pick up our whole damn house and drive it along the highway. I don't know. That's some crazy crap. I'm telling you. Yes, sirree. All right. So my Southern accent really started coming back. Anyway, I've been seeing some crazy stuff. I saw houses going down the road. Then when we were... In our hotel, the one that was in Florence Henderson, South Carolina. No, just Florence, but I named it Florence Henderson because she deserves a little shout-out. There's a girl behind the counter. No, she's like the local, you know, front-desk person who's telling you where to go and what to do. She's like an expert. And we knew that we were going to go check out Bushwick, Georgia next. So 
I said to her, um, what do you think of Bushwick, Georgia? And she looked at us astonished, and she's like, I don't know. I've never left South Carolina. And we looked at her, we said, you've never in your entire life been out of South Carolina? She said, no. She couldn't even understand why we thought that was strange. The other thing that was kind of unusual was that she had uh, hairsprayed her hair. Like, no, I'm from the, I'm a product of the 70s and 80s. I love big hair. I love big hair. I'm a Leo. I love big hair. I get it. You know what? Give me Robert Plant any day. I love big hair. But um, not so big on hairspray, though. That's all right. Anyway, she'd sprayed her hair up. But the trippy thing is, it was straight up in the air. I'm telling you, up straight in the air. So do you remember that show, The Coneheads? That's probably the closest thing I could compare it to. It was like if you put a traffic cone on the top of her head and covered it with hair, that would be kind of how it looked. I just couldn't imagine how it was staying up. Like when you have a wedding cake, you got to put pillars in so the cake layers can stand on top of each other. So I'm guessing she must have had some sort of a, a stick or a rod or something in the middle of it. So it all stuck straight up like that. And I was, you know, I kind of just had to sit with that. Like we got back in the car and started driving to Georgia and the houses started going by on the highway. And I started thinking, first of all, there was, I found something sad about never leaving South Carolina, just like I'd find something sad about never leaving New Jersey or never leaving New York or never leaving Pennsylvania or, you know, anywhere. I think you got to branch out a little bit just to see how other people think and feel and smell and eat and everything else, you know. But she seemed pretty happy, and she seemed pretty pleased with her hairdo, so who am I to judge? There's a lot of people who think I'm pretty darn weird-looking, too, and they always have. But I always took that as a compliment. So, of course, while I'm in the Carolinas, I've been eating my way everywhere because I like to get the local flair, you know. We had our authentic Mexican food in Florence Henderson. And now here... In Brunswick, Georgia, we went to a local favorite called Reed's, R-E-I-D-S, and it's in the downtown historic section of Brunswick, Georgia, and they had all kinds of the gorgeous stuff you love, of course, grits and collard greens and everything. The strange thing is just about every Southern Flair restaurant I've been to has had duck confit on the menu, which I don't think of as a Southern thing, but I guess it is this week. And it was pretty darn yummy. So I guess the next stop for me is going to be some real barbecue. Hopefully before I get out of Georgia. Because I don't think of Florida as a barbecue place. I, I really probably should have eaten more barbecue while I was in the Carolinas. But you can only eat so much. You know what I'm saying? And now here's the whole deal about barbecue. Now I'm not an expert. I do barbecue a lot, and I do love eating barbecue. So here's what I figured out from my travels. When I was in Texas, I had some amazing barbecue in Dallas, Texas, at a place called the Pecan Lodge. Like, you know, the pecan nut, P-E-C-A-N, yeah. Waited a long time to get in there, and it was great. I ordered my barbecue brisket, and I'm used to barbecue that's wet, just slathered with sauce, wet, wet, wet. And this was kind of dry. It was soft from slow cooking and from the wood and everything else. But it was dry and sort of peppery. 
And I wanted all these side dishes. Like I wanted to have my mashed potatoes and my collard greens, my millions of side dishes. And they just give you your meat and they give you a roll and they'll give you like some beans and that's it. You're supposed to shut up and eat the meat. So I asked for just about every bottle of barbecue sauce they had, which led me to believe that I do love Texas barbecue, but I need to have some sauce too. Now the Carolina, when I have barbecue in the Carolinas, it always seems to be a little vinegary. They do like their sauce, and so I love that about it. But it seems a little peppery and vinegary, and sometimes it feels a little mustardy too, which I kind of can get into. So if you ask me what's the difference, I would say Texas is more dry with the sauce on the side. The Carolinas are more about mustard and vinegar. I think one, maybe North Carolina's mustard and South Carolina's vinegar. The other way around, I don't know. So I take all that admission into my brain and I make my Chef Rossi famous barbecue sauce and it's killer. You want to hear how I do it? You know you do, you're dying to. So I get a big old pot because when I make this, I want to make a lot. And I dump what you call number 10 cans of ketchup. So foodies will know that expression, but a number 10 can of anything is a giant can. Don't ask me how many ounces it is. It's probably like 12 cans of ketchup in one number 10 can. It's a lot. So you dump two number 10 cans of ketchup in a pot. You're filling up a big old pot. So I put two number 10 cans of ketchup in a big old pot. And I start it on a simmer. And then I give it like a ton of Worcestershire. Because I love me some Worcestershire. And I give it a ton of molasses. Because I love me some molasses. And of course I give it salt and pepper. I also hit it with a good amount of maple syrup. I cook that down, and then I give it a good amount of Tabasco because I want some heat. I want fresh ground pepper, and I'm cooking and I'm cooking. I hit it with some brown sugar because I love it. I even hit it with some gluten-free tamari, and that's totally illegal, not authentic barbecue, and I don't care. I give it some grain mustard. I give it some French's mustard, some Dijon mustard, and I cook, 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 cook. And I, you know, I really want like a sweet and spicy thing happening. And I'm going to cook this first on medium heat and then lowering it to a simmer and adjusting as I go. And then I want to give it also a little extra bite with some apple cider vinegar. That's some awesome stuff. Sometimes I'll add caramelized garlic, but usually I don't because I want it to stay. Like once you start adding onions and garlic, then the shelf life is is shorter. But if you're sticking with the Worcestershire and the tamari and the maple syrup and the molasses and the ketchup and the Tabasco and all of that, that baby can stay months in the refrigerator and never go south. So I cook it down until I got a sweet and tangy, a little bit of the vinegar bite, a little of the mustard bite, the brown sugar, maple syrup, and molasses sweetness, tamari salt, Sometimes I'll hit it with celery salt and Cajun spice. And sometimes I hit it with uh, Old Bay, too, which is a little different. But why not? Because I like it. I get an awesome sort of Carolina-ish Chef Rossi barbecue sauce. And I slather it on anything. Maybe not on ice cream, but on most other things. On meat, on grilled vegetables, on chicken, on steak, on sausage. You know, on an ex-lover, you know. I, I, I like my sauce. What can I say? 
Anyway, I'm rambling because I'm in the South and I love it. I talk to so many Southern people and now I got my accent back and probably by the next time I talk to you, it'll be gone. But, you know, say la vie. Here I am. This is Chef Rossi for Raging and Eating, talking to you in the South. In Brunswick, Georgia today was in Florence Henderson, just Florence, really, South Carolina. And then before that in Raleigh, before that in Virginia. And tomorrow, I'll probably wind up in Flada, F-L-A-D-A. And there you have it. Food is love, and so are you.